to Mary. And then today we get to look at Mary's visit to Elizabeth and what's called the Magnificat. Uh, Mary's nativity uh, poem or psalm. Uh, one of the, well, you know, I say every week one of my favorite passages of Scripture. We'll throw that one in here this week too. Uh, let's pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you that you have sent your son Jesus. And in this time, we pray that you would make him clearer to us and that we would understand more a text that we have long, many times, looked at. I pray that it would be fresh to us, that we might be reminded of the great news of Christmas. We pray for your anointing upon the preacher and the hearer alike. In the name of our Savior, we ask it. Amen. This is Luke chapter 1, verses 39 through 56. Hear now the word of the Lord. In those days, Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah. And she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me, that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is she who believed there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm, and he has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent empty away. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy, as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his offspring forever. And Mary remained with her about three months and returned to her home. The grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of our God shall indeed stand forever. On August 14, 1945, long years of warfare ended. This is known as VJ Day, Victory Over Japan. After many years of casualties, of cruelties and hardships, the world learned that Japan had unconditionally surrendered. I think it perhaps is hard for us to understand just what this meant to so many in our society and to soldiers in arms around the world that their warfare had ended. And that peace had finally come. Perhaps all except, perhaps maybe Miss Mary Frances Otts and Jack Taylor. He's a World War II vet as well. The reaction across America probably, properly would have been measured by a Richter scale. By the amount of shouting and joyful um, exuberation that went throughout all this land. And not only here, but around the world. And, you know, there is, of course, that iconic photo in, in Times Square. You know, you have the, the random sailor grabs a, a random woman and kisses her. And a, and a um, Times reporter is on hand to take a picture. It's iconic. We, we've all seen it. Why? Because good news demands a response. 
Good news demands a response. People understood well what it meant for their warfare to be over, for peace to have come, and they were exuberant. In the study of Luke chapter 1, we have seen a lot of good news delivered so far. A lot of really good news. We've seen how a woman who was advanced in years, who had been barren and was ashamed in her society because she had no children, we have seen how she was told, you will have a child. And not just a child, his name will be John. He's going to do great things. He's going to prepare the way of the Lord. We saw last week that good news has come to Mary, who would be given the blessing and privilege of bearing the God of the universe, the Lord of all creation, the Lord of lords, the King of kings, the maker of all things in her womb until His birth. And guess what? They responded to the good news. They were ecstatic. They responded in faith. They believed in the Lord and they looked for the good news to come. Their reaction begs for us the question... What is our response of the coming of Jesus into this world? We know a lot about Jesus. We know a lot more about Jesus than Mary and Elizabeth ever would have. For we have seen what He would do for us. And we have the completed New Testament to tell us what it means for us. What is our response you know, four years, at least for America, of, um, of, of fighting in the Pacific and, and also in Europe brought great joy because their warfare had ended. Well, our warfare has ended too. Our warfare against sin and the guilt which we owe because of our sin. And peace has come into this world. Our Savior has come to deal with these things. How have we responded to this good news, especially this Christmas? It's hard not to get wrapped up into the busyness of the season. It's hard not to get wrapped up in all that we have to get done. And it's hard, honestly, if we're, if we're true and sincere. We have heard this story so many times. Sometimes it just seems like a dull story again. My prayers this morning is that we look at the reactions of Mary and of Elizabeth and even John in the womb. That we will be reminded of the great news that is delivered to us this Christmas. Well, last week we left Mary in the good hands of the angel Gabriel. You remember he had come to tell her that she was going to have a child, even though she was a virgin and only betrothed. In his address to Mary, he, he lays down a hint. He doesn't tell her to go and see Elizabeth, but he might as well have. He tells her that uh, her relative Elizabeth, and we, a lot of times we, we call them cousins, we're not entirely sure how they were related. They probably weren't first cousins. She was very old and, she, and, and Mary was very young. But perhaps they were second, third, twelve times removed. I don't really know how those things work. But they were related in some sense. And so here you have an older woman, advancing years, who had been barren, now has a child on the way. A teenager in our own standards is expecting as well. Seventh, eighth, ninth grade. What a blessing it would be to have someone to talk to. And so she went with haste. She left Nazareth and she went to the 70 some odd mile journey with haste to visit her relative Elizabeth. 
She went with haste out of joy, what the Lord was doing in this greatest thing of all history. She went with haste and zeal out of a desire to talk to someone who could understand what she was going through, especially before she started to show. She went with haste, alone, on the 70-some-odd mile journey. Something that wasn't ever done. You didn't go as a young woman on this kind of journey by yourself, but the Lord protected her. Can you imagine, put yourself in Mary's shoes, the news you've just gotten, and the news you've just heard about Elizabeth expecting as well. What is going through your mind on those long miles as you walk to the hill country of Judah? Excitement? Perhaps a bit of fear? I think, too, she was probably under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit writing what we call the Magnificat as well, so that she'd have something to say to praise her Lord with Elizabeth. Have you ever seen a child who's just achieved something big or gotten the best new toy that he's always wanted? You know, they stay real quiet about that, don't they? They bust in the room. You can't believe what I've done. You can't believe what I've gotten. I think that's kind of what goes on here. After 70 long miles, she she busts into Elizabeth's house. Says, Elizabeth, you can't even believe what has happened to me. It's not just that I'm pregnant, it's that I'm pregnant with the Lord of all creation. The King of kings, the Lord of lords, He will bear, He will receive the throne of His father, David. He will be called the Son of the Most High. And I'm not even married. A lot of of emotions going on then, right? We have good news, we we can't keep it in. We, We have to tell someone. And I wonder if the news of Christmas is such that it's bubbling up in us. If it is bubbling up for you, grab one of these cards on the way out this morning and and invite one of your friends to come and join us Christmas Eve night. Well, there's something going on here. And it's it's hard to see. Because in that culture, um, greetings were very uh, strictly regulated. And the, the lower always greeted the higher. The younger always greeted the older. And then focused all of the attention on the older or person of higher class. And the conversation never revolved around the one who was younger or of lower class. But this is a countercultural moment, isn't it? Because here busts in Mary, Elizabeth, you'll never believe what's happened to me. And what does Elizabeth do? How does she respond? And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit, and she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me that the Lord of my mother would come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. What does she do? Suddenly, The older, the more honorable, turns everything around and makes it about the younger. Why? Because as one who is filled with the Holy Spirit, she understood what was going on. She rejoices with great joy. She exclaims. She's exuberant. The the neighbors would have been wondering what's going on in the house next door. In fact, the word that is here um, translated as exclaimed refers to an Old Testament word which which was used by God's people to celebrate and praise God when He had done something wonderful for them. And this is what she's doing. She realizes that she's in the presence of her Lord and something much bigger is going on. 
we, we can break her response into four sections. Three blessings and a question. The first here is her statement, Blessed are you among women. What does she mean by that? Well, it means of all the women who have ever lived, of all the women in the world, of womanhood, you're the most esteemed, you're the most privileged, you're the most favored of God. Now here's the thing. How, how would have Elizabeth thought of herself five minutes before Mary walked in? She would have used these statements about herself. She who was old and barren and now was having a child, a gift from the Lord, she would think, man, this is awesome. I'm the most blessed of all women. You can't imagine what's happened to me. But now Mary, the mother of Jesus, has come in and she says, forget me. Blessed are you. Instead of waiting for Mary to bless Elizabeth, Elizabeth in a countercultural moment blesses the, the younger and the lower because she knows that in her belly is one who is the most high. She said, blessed is your son. Blessed is the fruit of your womb. Why? Because she realizes what's going on. We see this in verse 43. And why is this granted to me? That the mother of my Lord should come to me. Now we throw around the word Lord a lot. But to someone of this time, to use the word Lord meant God. Blessed is the mother of the Lord, my Lord. Here is God inside my cousin, inside my, my relative's womb. She didn't understand it, nor do we fully understand how that works. But here is the one who created all things. And how did she get the privilege of being in the presence of her Lord, the Ancient of Days, the Creator of all things, the Redeemer of God's people? When we think of Christmas, this is what we're thinking about. Or perhaps we ought to think about what happened? Is that the God of the universe who made all things came and He took on flesh. He became a, a boy, a, an infant, so that He might grow up in order to fulfill righteousness and to die on the cross for us. One, one um, theologian once said that, that the move from God, for God, the humiliation that, that would have entailed, the condensation of that... Uh, would have been greater than you or I turning into a snail. If we turned into a snail, that would be a, that would be a bit of a demotion, right? But here is the creator of all things, taking on flesh and entering into the broken world, taking on flesh that had rebelled against him in order to redeem his people. How is it that the mother of my Lord would come to see me? Finally, she says, blessed are you for believing. And blessed is she who believed there be fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. Mary had responded in faith, right? She had responded in faith to what the angel had told her. She had responded in faith that the Lord was coming, that he would save his people from their sins. Well, Mary's going to say a lot more, but... But there's a different reaction here than just Mary and just Elizabeth. Did you catch it here? There's some, there, there are two other people on the scene here. And they're Jesus and John. And we're told that when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb out of joy. 
Verse 41, For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Here is John the Baptist, who according to Luke 1.15, would be filled with the Holy Spirit from his mother's womb. And he somehow, in a miraculous way, recognizes that he is in the presence of his God and of his Savior, of the Messiah. And he uses his mother's womb as a pulpit. In the liquid darkness of his mother's womb, one man writes, the unborn child kicked for joy, leaping at the sound of Mary's voice, and in this way preparing people for the coming of Christ. Our text ends with the Magnificat. Um, it's, it's an amazing hymn or amazing psalm. It really is an Old Testament psalm in its construction. And at first blush, the most amazing thing is the fact that a 12, 13, 14-year-old girl, young woman, wrote this. If you note, there are um, references or quotes from Genesis, Deuteronomy, 1st, 2nd Samuel, Job, the Psalms, Isaiah, Ezekiel, Micah, Habakkuk, and Zephaniah. That's 11 different books. Mary knew the Word of God. And sure, she was writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, but these are her words. The Holy Spirit calling into mind things she had learned. We don't have time to to do this justice. But we see this divided into two sections. In the first part, in verses 46 through 50, she praises the Lord for what the Lord has done for her. We've, We've already seen the societal norms turned upside down where Elizabeth is blessing uh, the younger, Mary. But we see that's just how God works. And we see that here. The the centerpiece being verse 48. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, now on all generations will call me blessed. Jesus in his earthly ministry is going to do this over and over again. Who does he pay attention to? He curses the Pharisees. The religious elites, he says, woe to you guys. He hangs out with the sinners, the drunkards, the prostitutes, because he came to seek and save the lost. And here is Mary of low estate, an uneducated, poor, peasant girl from a know-nothing town, bearing in her the God of all gods, the King of all kings. God didn't choose to send them to a a palace or even to a hotel, but to a stable, to a barn. And she rejoiced. But Mary rejoices and praises her God not only for what the Lord is doing for her of of humble estate and and raising her up to, to great blessings, but also what He is doing for all of Israel. Verses 51 through 55. He has shown strength with His arm. He has scattered the proud in thoughts and the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in the remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. Do you see these words here? The rich he sent away, the hungry he filled. Um, He's brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. You have the lowering of the high and the raising of the low. And praise God, this is how He does it. Because what do we have to offer God? 
We have nothing. The only thing we bring to our salvation is our sin. And that He would save us apart from our record, because of our record, in spite of our record. We've seen amazing reasons to rejoice and be glad this morning, to praise our God. We've seen Mary and Elizabeth and even the infant John rejoicing and praising the Lord for the coming of the Messiah. But let's zoom out just a minute and think big picture. As we look past the manger, the coming of the shepherds, and then a couple years later, the wise men, we have the flight to Egypt and then the return to Nazareth. We find the boy Jesus increasing in wisdom and stature and favor with God and man. And later he will take up the profession of his father as a carpenter, which he will lay aside at the, at the prime of his life around the age 30. And he will go throughout Palestine preaching the good news of the kingdom of God. He will heal the sick calls the lame to walk and the blind to see. He would be accepted by some and rejected by many, many others, eventually leading up to his death on two pieces of wood nailed together outside the city gates of Jerusalem, cursed by his nation, forgotten by his disciples, and shamed as he hung on the tree. To the world it looked like failure. The light had come into the world and perhaps it had grown dark. Perhaps it had been snuffed out. But then three days later, as the faithful women, where were the, where were the other disciples? As the faithful women returned to the tomb, they found it empty. And soon it appeared and was true. The defeat was victory. What do we have to rejoice over this Christmas? Our Lord and our God has entered into this world to deal with our greatest problem. The fact that we have been alienated from God, that we are under His wrath and curse, justly deserving His displeasure both in this life and in the next for all of eternity in hell. This is what I deserve. This is what you deserve. That's the bad news. But but on Christmas Day, the good news came into the world with the purpose of solving our greatest problem. To forgive us of our sins, to reconcile us to our God, that we might live with Him forever. And now we get to the the word of the day, faith. How do we receive this? How how is what Christ done, how is that applied to my account? If He has died for sins, that's great, but how how do I get there? It's not by being good. It's not by doing good things. It's not even by coming to church. It's not by reading your Bible. It's not by helping folks out who need financial uh, help. These are great things, but they will not help you before the Lord your God on Judgment Day. The only thing that will help you on the Day of Judgment is Christ and the gift that He offers in salvation. For the wages of sin is death, but... That word but is the greatest word in all of Scripture. And it's the word of Christmas, right? But, this is what we deserve, but... The free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. My friends, have you in faith received what Christ has done for His people? Faith isn't a work. It is the open hand receiving the gift which God gives to us. Do you have reason to rejoice this Christmas? Or is it just another fun holiday? Because here's the thing. There are two Advents. This is Advent season. We celebrate the first Advent, the first coming of the Lord Jesus, but He's coming again. 
And when he comes again, the days of faith will be over. For his people will now have sight and will behold their Savior. But for those who don't know the Lord, the days of calling on the Lord in faith will be over. It will be the days of mourning. Do you have reason to rejoice this morning? Do you have reason to rejoice in the day of Christ's return? Call out to Him in faith. Take Him as your Savior that you might have eternal life. Let's pray. Lord, we thank You for our Savior coming into this world to save us from our sins. For we had no, um, no hope. And our hearts were dark of unbelief. And our souls were stained with sin. But you, out of your great love, the love with which you loved us, would send forth your Son into this world, born of a virgin, born under the law, to redeem those who are under the law. And so we rejoice and we renew our faith again in Christ. Lord, in these days ahead as we march forward to Christmas, may our hearts grow in gratitude for all that you have done for us, both in the cradle and at the cross and ultimately at the empty tomb. In the name of Jesus we ask it. Amen.